0: You're listening to Pastor Rory Rogers as he teaches through the book of Acts. If you have your Bibles ready, let's turn there now. Acts chapter 1, the risen Jesus is just about to ascend into heaven, but before he does, he tells the disciples, go into Jerusalem and wait, and I'll give you the promise of the Father. For John truly baptized with water, but I will baptize you with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And then Jesus ascended into heaven, and he went... Uh, The disciples went into Jerusalem and they waited for about 10 days. And in 10 days, the promise that Jesus said would happen is the Holy Spirit would come upon them and give them power to be witnesses in Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world. And so there it was on the day of Pentecost as 120 Christians were gathered together, praying in one accord that the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, uh, fell upon and overflowed over the the, uh, 120 disciples and apostles at that time. And the manifestation of that Holy Spirit at that time was the gift of tongues as the whole place was shaken and the wind went through the room and the tongues of fire were upon the uh, apostles head. uh, You remember that they began to speak in other tongues, other languages, and uh, 17 other languages represented that were spoken out of those 120 people. And somehow, I don't know if it was loud or people went outside, but somehow uh, people from the temple area that were gathered in town for Pentecost Heard these other languages, their own languages, and said, wait a second, how do these Galilean people know how to speak? Cretan or Arab or Egyptian, you know, how did do, how do they know this? And uh, then Peter saw that as an opportunity to preach the gospel, to teach about the Holy Spirit, and to show that uh, Jesus Christ is the Messiah spoken of in the Old Testament. And so Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2, it's an incredible opening for the book of Acts, where we see radical teachings in the word and huge prayer meetings and communion and fellowship with other believers. In Acts chapter 2 through 47, we see the practices of the early church and should be the practice of the modern day church, that we would continue steadfastly in the apostles doctrine, the breaking of bread and fellowship and prayers. But Acts chapter two, all that radical stuff happening within the church, uh, 3,000 people being saved by Peter's message that day on Pentecost. Acts chapter two demanded Acts chapter three that we studied last week where Peter and John went to pray. It's just their custom. They normally go to pray at the temple. And they met a lame man on the way, as the children's song says. He asked for alms and held out his palms. And this is what Peter did say. What did he say? Silver and gold have I none, but that which I have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Well, we know from Acts chapter four that this man was 40 years old and he'd been lame from his mother's womb, not able to walk. And so that day, Jesus healed this lame man. It says immediately his ankle bones popped together. They received strength and he jumped up and began walking and leaping and praising God. And everybody knew that a miracle had been done that day. Incredible thing. Imagine seeing someone crippled for 40 years and you're thinking that guy is hopeless. Guy's life has nothing, you know, nothing to look forward to. And then to see him running around, leaping with joy in his heart. And all of these people in the temple, thousands and thousands of people came together to see what had happened. And Peter again, seizes it as an opportunity to preach the gospel. And last week, we studied the incredible message that Peter taught. Uh, And then as we're going to read here in chapter four, 5,000 people, men, actually 5,000 men got saved. You know, what an incredible message, incredible opportunity that Peter had there. To preach the gospel. And so, just as Acts chapter 2, a healthy, living, vital church, demanded Acts chapter 3, a witnessing, missionary church moving in the power of the Spirit, so does Acts chapter 3 demand Acts chapter 4 persecution. You see, in chapters 4 through 8, we're going to see the beginning of a series of persecutions against the church, which start out against Peter and John by the Sanhedrin, and they'll find their way all to chapter 7, where even Stephen is stoned and killed as the first church martyr. And then in chapter 8, we'll see Saul of Tarsus uh, going around dragging women and children and men uh, into prison for the name of Jesus, some, uh, even killing some of these people. And so we see the beginning of persecution against the living, powerful, vibrant church. And all of these acts of hatred that are done toward Jesus are just the beginning of what continues today. Last night, just before I went to bed, I got onto the Voice of the Martyrs website. Persecution.org. And I saw that in India on June 23rd, 2010, two assemblies of God pastors were leaving the prayer meeting when they were jumped by a mob and beaten with rods. They were then admitted to the hospital and spent some time in the ICU. In Iran, a young man was arrested. He was a Christian and has been beaten and interrogated, uh, not able to see his family or his friends, and he's been suffering from weakness and severe stomach aches. Uh, while in prison. In Iraq, there was a young man named Benham Sapti. He was a Christian and he died instantly on July 5th. Think about what you were doing on July 5th. Day after 4th of July, he died when his uh, a car bomb went off in his car and local authorities went on to say that he was killed because of his religious identity of being a Christian. In Nepal, on June 13th, Maoist rebels in Nepal attacked Christians that were at an evening prayer meeting. They began to beat the pastor and the pastor asked them to leave, so they beat him more severely. And then church members tried to step in to protect the pastor and they too were beaten severely, sent to the hospital. You know, we had our prayer meeting in the park on Wednesday night or Thursday night. And uh, the worst thing we got was some lady in a fancy Audi type car honking all the way down the street, you know? So I don't know what that was all about. Maybe she was excited that we were praying or something, but certainly we haven't been beaten with rods or attacked at our prayer meeting in the park. On the 4th of July uh, in India, Uh, professor at a a normal college had put some questions, random generic questions about Christianity in his uh, final, and uh, some Muslim zealots didn't like that, and so they got a van and kidnapped this uh, professor, amputated the lower part of his arm, and stabbed him with knives. Uh, 4th of july what were you doing on the 4th of july you know it's way different in other parts of the world that's why we're told in hebrews to remember those that are in chains and to pray for them as if you are chained right there with them not to forget those who are suffering for christ but we all see it has its roots here in a living vibrant church man if you are being persecuted it means you're doing something right If you're living in safety and comfort and not a care of even having someone disagree with your theology, then, you know, it's time to get out of the box a little bit and start opening your mouth about Jesus. But persecution, it's something that's included in Jesus's great commission to us. Believe it or not, the book of Acts actually has a great commission. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be witnesses to the rest of the world. And that word witness, remember, it's the word martyr. When you have the power of the Holy Spirit upon you, you'll be able to be a martyr. And we're not talking strap bombs to your chest and go get in a bus or something like that. Not at all, farthest from that. But it's living for Jesus in such a way that you are not afraid to die for him if that opportunity or if that should arise. You know, one man just put it so well, and I always say it because I own it, that dying for Jesus doesn't make you a martyr. It just shows who the martyrs already were. As Christians, we're to be living martyrs for Jesus. Everything that we are, it's it's His. We're not even alive anymore. We've been crucified with Christ, but we live. And the life that we live now, it's not you know, it's not of ourselves. It's by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave Himself for us. And so here we are. The persecution begins as Peter and John have been bold to open up their mouths and start preaching the gospel. Verse one, now, as they spoke to the people, the priests, the captains of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them. So we see the captains of the temple. These are the guys that arrested Jesus. It's really captain of the guard. The guys that arrested Jesus in the garden of Gethsemane. We see the Sadducees, they were religious leaders, uh, major religious leaders in Jerusalem. And uh, their main theology was that they didn't believe in the resurrection from the dead. They didn't believe in miracles and they didn't believe in angels or demons. And the classic Sunday school way to remember who the Sadducees were is that the Sadducees were sad, you see, because they didn't believe in the resurrection or angels. You know, that bums everybody out when you don't believe in angels. Just watch Touched by an Angel. Um, <clears throat> but remember, it was the Sadducees who tried to trip Jesus up with that tricky question about marriage in heaven. And they came and they said, hey, according to Moses' law, if a woman marries a man and the man dies, then she needs to marry that man's brother. Well, what if that brother dies and she marries the next brother? And he has seven brothers, all of them die, and she had to marry all of them. Then she dies and goes to heaven. Whose wife is she? Huh? Huh? If there's a heaven, huh? Then what? Then what? And Jesus says, you know what? You guys, you heir. Because you don't know the scriptures or the power of God. First of all, in marriage, there in heaven, there is no marriage. But we're like the angels. No one's married. All of our love and affection is pointed towards Jesus. All of our worship and adoration, it goes towards the Lord. And then he goes on to say, that uh, And you also don't know the scriptures because in the Old Testament it says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, not I was the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They're alive right now. They're not dead. And there's going to be this incredible resurrection. And so he, you know, put that in your pipe and smoke it is what Jesus basically said there in Matthew chapter 22. But we see that the priests and the captains of the guard, the policemen of the temple, and the Sadducees all came upon Peter and John, and by this point, a lot of the other church was there as well. Now, when was the last Bible big study that we did on that word "upon"? Anybody remember Acts chapter one, verse eight? You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And so, when we have the Holy Spirit come upon us, it means to overflow like torrents of living water. We have power; we're enabled to be ministers of Jesus. The opposite is happening here when they came upon these religious self-righteous men came upon them and tried to quench the ministry that was happening there. And uh, in, in verse two, here they come, they come upon them. They're greatly disturbed. They're worried that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. So they're worried. They're disturbed that Peter and John and these other guys have been preaching. And uh, for one thing, a lot of guys, you know, are beginning to follow them. And man, your pride gets a little wounded whenever your followers start following somebody else. So they're worried and disturbed about that for one thing. And we're talking thousands of people leaving their little thing they got going on there. Uh, But the other thing is, why would the Sadducees be bummed that Peter and John are teaching? Because what's the subject? They're teaching in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And you know what? The resurrection is a pillar, paramount part, of any preacher's message, including Peter and John's, all throughout the book of Acts, all throughout the uh, apostles, even or epistles, and even in Revelation, the resurrection is huge. In fact, as we work through the book of Acts, I've encouraged you to take your pen and start putting a little R next to every reference of the resurrection. And let's just look real quick, what we've seen so far, Acts chapter one, Put an R next to verse 22. One of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. Chapter 2, verse 24. Whom God raised up having loosed the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. Chapter 2, verse 32. This Jesus God has raised up of which we are all witnesses. Chapter 3, verse 15. Whom, you know, they killed the prince of life. Whom God raised from the dead. Chapter 3, verse 26... To you first, God having raised up His servant Jesus, and here we are, chapter four, verse two. Uh, they were bummed out because they were preaching in Jesus the resurrection from the dead, and there's a lot more even in this chapter. Two other references of the resurrection. Why would He discuss the resurrection? Because it's the best proved <laughs> fact of Christianity. There's so much evidence, even now in 2010, that Jesus is not in the grave in Jerusalem, but He's risen from the grave and He's alive. Right right now. And because he rose from the dead, that testifies that he is God, not just some prophet or old dude, you know, from the Middle East 2000 years ago, he's alive and he's God. And you know what? He's in this room right now. He's with us right now. So they're bond because, you know, they're preaching that Jesus is alive from the dead. And, uh, you know, First Corinthians chapter 15 and First Thessalonians 4.13 are just paramount uh, in uh, the doctrine of the resurrection. But verse 3, and they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day for it was already evening. So the miracle of healing the lame man happened at about 3 p.m uh, that day and, you know, open up an opportunity to preach the gospel and tons of people got saved and all these people flocked to the area. It was a very fruitful, awesome afternoon of ministry for the disciples, no doubt, but they get arrested and they're going to spend the night in jail. Maybe some of you remember those days, huh? A little, little troublemaking, little graffiti out on the side of the road, perhaps, but, um, no, uh, you know, not, not an exciting time, certainly, but They're they're put in custody, which is the first time that these disciples have actually been arrested for the name of Jesus. And how awesome to see them go from craven runaways, you know, in the Garden of Gethsemane, abandoning Jesus, to now being arrested and being bold and taking a stand uh, for Jesus. And you can flip over to John chapter 15, verse 18, where Jesus just, you know, he's very real with us. And he lets us know, John 15, 18, He says, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. You know, if you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. Man, if you name the name of Christ, if you're a disciple of Jesus, you got to just understand that they hated Jesus. The world hates Jesus. And you're a little Jesus. That's what the word Christian means, a little Christ. The world is going to hate you. And man, if you have no problems with the world and they're never saying anything about your faith, it's probably because they don't know really what your faith is all about. Because once they really begin to know, there's, just going to be, there's going to be a little dissension. You know, there's going to be some, you know, some people full on spit in your face, maybe beat you with the metal rods, maybe even kill you. At the very least, you're going to get people just disagreeing and angry at you and mistreating you in some way, shape or form because that's what they did to Jesus And we're no greater than he is. We're his disciples. The martyr Dietrich Bonhoeffer, uh, he was a German back in the... uh 20s through 40s, 1920s through 1940s, and uh, he was a Christian, awesome theologian. Spent some time in America in training, went back over to Germany, and uh, when Nazism started to rise, he immediately began to do uh, radio messaging, uh, anti-Nazi radio studies and stuff. And they shut him off in the middle of his sermon. He ended up eventually being in prison, and finally, he was hung in 1937. But he wrote in his journal. He said, suffering is the badge of the true Christian. The disciple is not above his master. Luther reckoned suffering among the marks of the true church. And one of the memoranda drawn up for the preparation of the Augsburg Confession similarly defines the gospel, or defines the church, as the community of those who are persecuted and martyred for the gospel. Discipleship means allegiance to the suffering Christ, and it is therefore not at all surprising that Christians should be called upon to suffer. Man, isn't that just. Uh, there's a man that wrote it from experience. He knew the suffering, he knew Christ's sufferings. And man, as we are living uh testimonies of Jesus there's no doubt part of the badge of being a Christian is that suffering but don't worry it's not all bad as Bishop Sheen said you know the one good thing about suffering is when you're thrown on your back you face heaven you know and there's something about suffering that you know you look at Stephen in Acts chapter 7 when he was stoned to death what did he see as he was thrown on his back, he says, man, I see heaven opened up and I see the son of man at the right hand of the father. You know, something radical happens in the spiritual realm whenever a Christian suffers. And I believe that's the one of the main purposes of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is that we would have power to suffer. You know, that we would be enabled by his strength to suffer because I don't have the strength to suffer. I hate pain. I hate people making fun of me. You know, I got a jaw issue. I don't want anybody punching this thing. It's a little tender, you know, Um, But by the power of the Holy Spirit, man, we can suffer for his name. Then verse uh, four. However, many of those who heard the word believed and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. So they're, you know, they're going into prison. They're going in chains. uh, But the good thing is, is 5,000 men were added to the number. 5,000 people were, now whether they were added or whatever, you know, we know right here, there were at least 5,000 men. So there's a lot of people in the church at this point. And if you just flip back to Acts chapter two, verse 47, it says that the Lord adds to the church daily those who are being saved, you know, and, and here we just see him in action here. These people heard the word and believed. It wasn't that they saw the healing and that was the healing, they were all focused on the healing. No, the healing pointed them to the word or the miracles or whatever it is. Miracles never replace the word or the gospel. They only just validate the gospel. They point to the word and it was the hearing of the word that caused these people to believe. I mean, I love Isaiah fifty five eleven that the word of God doesn't come back void. Just give the people the word. But how rad that 5,000 people were saved. 5,000 men were saved. All because Peter and John were obedient to the Holy Spirit to take time to minister to this one little lame 40-year-old man. And what the Lord would do if we were obedient to minister and reach out to that one person or at least that one person. Man, I fail in that. I was in Bend last week at the Arco and uh, I'm in there paying for my gas and I mean, the guy behind the counter was a total perv, total pervert. I mean, he is just talking about all the girls outside and just, oh my gosh. And I was like, Lord, I want to say something. But, and I noticed this guy had a wedding ring on. I just felt the Lord saying, well, why don't you open up by just saying, hey, you know what Jesus says about lusting after a woman in your heart that you've committed adultery uh, in your heart? And just start with that. And, oh, no, he's not worth it. No, he's not worth it. I'm totally worth it. But uh, but, "Ah, it's late. And uh, just got done watching Toy Story 3. And, you know tons of excuses. And I, I ignored the Holy spirit missed out on, man, there's a guy, Kyle, you live in Ben. You take care of him for me. Okay. There's a guy in Ben that needs, needs Jesus. And I neglected the Holy spirit. It's moving on my heart. And man, if I would have been obedient, no doubt. Oh, there's this lame guy. He's been here forever. Uh, Uh, you know, no, he was worth it. And the Lord moved radically because of their obedience to minister to this one guy. So, man, take time to reach out and disciple individuals. And obviously, I'm growing in that as well. Verse 5. And it came to pass on the next day that the rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and many, as many as were of the family of the high priest, they were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they set them in their midst, They asked him, by what power or what name have you done this? So we have a description of the Sanhedrin here. The Sanhedrin was the kind of the Supreme Court in Jerusalem. This is the the big wigs, the big guns of religion, uh, and uh, major court hearing happening here. Um, We've got rulers, elders, scribes. We've got Annas and Caiaphas there. Now remember, Annas and Caiaphas, you can read about them in John chapter 18, that these were guys that sent Jesus to the cross, You know, Caiaphas is Annas' Annas' son-in-law, and uh, these were the very guys that, you know, literally said, crucify him, we want Barabbas instead. And so, uh, you know, Peter and John are looking into the very eyes of the men that condemned their Lord, and they might be thinking, we're going to face a similar fate. We can meet the cross tonight. And, uh, you know, the, the whole high priest family was there. And then another question, by what power or by what name have you done this? Now, something that we're going to teach you on Saturday is, you know, basic Bible observation is you want to note repeated words in the text. And you might circle every time we read the word name. Why? That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. Because name speaks of power and authority. And when it comes to Jesus, his name is power and authority. And we're going to get into it even more, but they want to know who's the power, who's the authority that you're going around healing people left and right and preaching the name of Jesus. Who do you guys think you are? That's what they wanted to know. And and uh, verse eight, so... Peter filled with the Holy Spirit said to them, rulers of the people and of the elders of Israel. Now, man, I love that Peter again, uh, sees and seizes an opportunity to share Jesus here. And he uses a direct question about his faith as an open door. You know, we all have these direct questions about our faith. You know, are, you know, I love this, that the world asks, are you religious? What religion are you? I mean, you remember being asked that. Yeah, I hate the word religion because for me, Christianity is not religion. It's a relationship with a living God, the living God. It's not religion and tradition and all of that. You know, but all, we all have these opportunities where people say, what religion are you? Or, oh, you go to church? That's kind of weird. What's that all about? Or, you know, there's all these little open doors and Peter uses it. He seizes it and and he uses it. And I just love observing, um, how Peter kind of jumps into these gospel messages. You know, in chapter two, verse 14, it says, Peter standing with the 11 raised his voice. That's how he got into it. He's standing there and he raises his voice to start preaching In chapter 3, verse 12, when Peter saw it, he responded to the people. It's just responding is all, you know, these times of witnessing. That's all it is. It's responding to the situation that the Holy Spirit has put us in. It's seeing the pervert at the gas station and responding to the Holy Spirit, moving on your heart to talk to him. And I didn't. (laughs) And you guys got to be better than me, okay? Um, Teach me how you do it, will you? But notice there that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. You might underline the word filled and just write, Next to it, that it means to be continually filled. It's the word plētho to be continually filled. You know, I believe that baptism with the Holy Spirit it, it's a uh, it's an experience separate from salvation, although it can happen at salvation, it can happen at baptism, it can happen when someone lays hands on somebody. You know, we read the Book of Acts. God's not in a box when He pours out His Spirit upon a believer, but. You know, as it's happening here, uh, we see that Peter had already been baptized with the Holy Spirit and here he's getting baptized with the Holy Spirit again. You know, in Acts chapter two, he was baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then here he is again being filled or baptized or overflowed or indwelt, however you want to say it, Peter's getting it. He's getting, he's receiving the power that comes from the throne of God. And so there's this continually filling. It's like sticking a garden hose in a glass of water and turning it on high. Just this, you know, oh man, I have this power that's just gurgling up out of me. Gurgling. Yes. Um, John chapter seven, verse 37, Jesus foretells that this is going to happen in the life of a Christian. John chapter seven, verse 37, it was the last day, the great day of the feast. And Jesus stood up and cried out. I mean, picture Jesus at the temple crying this out. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow, it's a prolonged action, like a river not ending, flow rivers or torrents of living water. But this he spoke concerning the spirit whom those believing in him would receive. For the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. And so for us in 2010, man, every day we can start our day by yielding to the Holy Spirit and saying, Lord, just pour out your spirit afresh on me today. I need the power of your spirit that I can... Live for you, you know, in my job, whatever job it is, Lord, I got it. I got nothing. You know, I need your power. I need your strength. And so here, Peter walks in the filling of the Holy Spirit and he towers above these religious big guns. And he says, Rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he's been made well let it be made known to you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised up from the dead by him, this man stands here before you whole. So he says, Hey guys, if we're on trial in the Supreme court here for healing a man, that's been lame and crippled from his mother's womb. And obviously that's not why they're there. In fact, Jesus asked the same question in John uh, chapter 10, When the Jews took up stones to kill him, Jesus said, for which one of these good works that I've done, are you going to kill me? And they said, it's not for the good works that we're going to stone you. It's because you being a man claim to be God. And it's the same thing that's happened here with the disciples. They're not going to get killed and they're not on trial for being really good at healing people. They're on trial for what Peter says right there in verse 10. Let it be known to you and all the people of Israel that by the name, there's that word, circle it, by the power and by the authority of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, God raised him from the dead. You know, so he's saying, Jesus is God. He's alive in your face. That's why they're in the Supreme Court. That's why they're on trial. But notice there, he's so bold and he just says, you crucified Jesus. And he's actually talking to the people that did it. And we all crucified Jesus because of our sin. But of course, I was born in 1981, so I wasn't technically there. It was still my sin that held him there. But these guys, man, they were the ones that yelled, crucify him. And he says, you crucified Jesus. And I love the boldness of Peter because I'm the kind of guy that, you know, my witnessing tact is like, maybe it's times overly loving and a little overly sensitive to the other person. And when the Mormons knock on my door, you know, the first thing I tell them is, I love you. I love you as a person, you know? And I always say, I believe you're sincere, but I believe you're sincerely wrong. And then I go into just lovingly showing them from the scriptures. And then we leave like all right, Elder Graham or Elder Bill, you know, all right. Yeah, good. You know, and I think there's times where I have friends, uh, two friends that when the Mormons or the Jehovah's witnesses come to their door, they follow them door to door throughout the neighborhood until they leave the neighborhood. And they say, we're going to follow you. And we're going to counter everything you say to our neighbors uh, until you leave our neighborhood. I believe that you're sincere. And you know, there's a place for love there. It's all got to be in love. But I think sometimes we kind of water down the truth by just, oh, let's hug, you know. (laughs) I mean, I'm sure Peter would have hugged these guys, but he lets them know, you killed Jesus. That's the truth. But God raised, are you putting your R in your Bible? Raised him from the dead. There it is again. By him, by Jesus, this man stands here before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. And Peter knows the word of God. And you can't miss that the man that God uses is a man that knows his Bible. And Peter knew that that uh, Psalm 118 has this prophecy of Jesus being rejected. You know, the cool thing is, is that Peter didn't quote the reference. And sometimes we worry too much about that. I hear you guys saying, oh, there's that verse that ministers me. I don't really know what reference it is. And, you know, it's like, dude, let the word come out of your mouth. Who cares about the reference? We can go look that up on the computer later. Let the word come out. And Peter quotes Psalm 118 here. And notice in his quoting, he applies it directly to them. Because Psalm 118 says this, the stone which the builders has rejected has become the chief cornerstone. Here's how Peter puts it. The stone that you builders rejected has become the cornerstone. He puts it right in their face and says, you rejected the foundation stone the foundation stone for life, our foundation of our faith. Everything needs to be built upon Jesus, but you rejected him and you killed him. It goes on to say, verse 12, man, verse 12 and 13 are such gems. There's a lot of gems in this uh, chapter. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now you want to memorize a verse, memorize this verse. To the Sanhedrin, it's not the name of Moses. To the to the Muslim, it's not the name of Muhammad. To uh, the Mormon, it's not the name Joseph Smith. To you know the Roman Catholic, it's not the name of the Pope. To the Christian, it's not the name of Billy Graham. It's not Rory's name. No other name. All other names are worthless. It's the name of Jesus Christ. And it's by faith in that name and that name alone that you must be saved. You must be saved. It's in his name and it's only in uh, his name. Buddha, Confucius, Muhammad, none of those names work. Well, Rory, you're being really narrow-minded. I mean, 2010, bro, you know, you can take a plane down to New Zealand and there's a lot of guys that would disagree with you down there. You know what? Narrow-minded, yes. But Jesus was narrow minded when in John chapter 14, verse six, he says that I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the father, but by me, there's no other name. There's no other way. And Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate. I'm a narrow way. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. Everybody wants to go the easy way, but it goes towards destruction. Narrow is the path that leads to salvation and there aren't very many that go by it. And we live in that day and age of ecumenical movement where, hey, let's just all get along. And your God, my God, it's all the same. Man, I have a, um, my neighbor. I love my neighbor. I'm praying for my neighbor. Love him. Uh, and share a wall with him. You know, we live in a townhouse, so, you know, we share a wall with him. Love this guy. Pray for him. Jack, you can pray for him too. And Jack's an agnostic, a retired biology teacher. And uh, he told me the other day that, yeah, I'm going to Seattle and my daughter's getting married and, and uh, she's a Buddhist, and she's marrying a Native American, and, you know, they're going to do this Buddhist Native American dance and all this stuff, and as he's, you know, I'm just like, you're sincere, but, no, um, no, I love him so much, I'm just, you know, and he knew that I, you know, he just knew as he's talking, he's just like, this is, and he just goes, man, it's not going to be good, you know, and I go, you're going to do the dance though, aren't you? He's like, probably, you know, but, you know, It's not Buddha or, yeah, well, I'm, you know, I'm Omaha Indian. So, you know, I love the, I love the Native Americans as much as the next guy, but the Omaha Indian needs to believe in the name of Jesus and the New Zealander needs to believe in the name of Jesus. Well, that's just not fair. Well, then get on a plane and go down there and tell them about Jesus. If you don't like it, we need, that's our job. We need to go around and we need to tell people about Jesus so that it is fair. We're his vessels to get the gospel message out there. And there's no other name given among men under heaven by which men must be saved. Understand this, you must be saved. If you wanna to go to heaven, you must be saved or you will perish in your sins. Be saved. It's the opposite of being condemned to death. Be saved to life. R. Kent Hughes says, man, it's Christ or nothing. Christ or judgment, Christ or hell. And you know, he is the rock. He is the cornerstone. And Jesus tells us that there's two relationships that you can have with the stone. You can either fall on the stone and be broken. Oh, Lord, I realize I'm a sinner. And man, as Rory speaks today, I'm confronted with who I really am. And I'm, I'm wicked in my heart and I'm selfish and I've been disobedient to you. But you are light and you are good and you are holy and you are perfect and pure. And you died on the cross for my sins. And I want that. And man, I'm humbling myself. I'm broken and I'm acknowledging that I'm a sinner. I want to be saved the Lord that's a good relationship to have with the rock. fall on the rock be broken. but Jesus says the other relationship is that the rock will fall on you and grind you to powder. It's wily e. coyote all over again. you do not want the rock to fall on you and to grind you to powder and Philippians tells us that in the name of Jesus. One day, every tongue will confess that that name Jesus is Lord and every knee will bow. And right now, today, your knee can bow before Jesus in brokenness and and confess your sin and turn away from your sin and allow him to convert you and make you a new person. Or one day, you will hate it, but you will stand before him and you will see how awesome he is, but you've hated him your whole life. And you're going to be compelled to get on your knee and bow before him and confess him as Lord. But your whole life, you've hardened your heart towards him and you really don't want to confess him to be Lord, but you have to do it anyways. And then you'll, because you wanted to be separated from him so bad, you're going to get to be separated from him for the rest of eternity in hell. And you will be crushed by the rock. It's your choice. Fall on the rock and broken, be healed, be restored, be a new creation, awesome, or be crushed by the rock. It's your choice. Verse 13, another gem. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled and they realized they had been with Jesus. That word boldness, you might have a Bible that says courage. And you want to underline that word because it's repeated all throughout the chapter. They were bold. They were bold. They were bold. They were frank. You know, they were, they didn't beat around the bush, but they spoke with truth and bluntness. And they admired this about those guys. And they perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men. You know what? There's not one of us in this room or or one of us on staff or one of us as elders in this church that feels adequate to be ministers of the gospel. Oh, I've got it all figured out. You know, my half a year of Bible school and my welding term that I had, that really prepared me to be a pastor. Uh uh-uh. It's nothing about me. It's all about him. There's not one of us that is adequate. But if you spend time with him... He'll give you the strength and, and people will just see that guy's been with Jesus. And I can tell he didn't go to some theological seminary, but he's been spending time with Jesus and that's seminary enough. Alexander McLaren says that a soul habitually in contact with Jesus will imbibe sweetness like a cloth that's been put in a drawer with some kind of perfume and absorb that fragrance beside whatever they lied. Man, let's be like that. You spend time with Jesus, you're going to be the fragrance of Jesus. Doesn't matter if you have a degree hanging on your wall. Just spend time with Jesus, man. It's such an awesome, encouraging verse because God uses the untrained, the uneducated. First Corinthians chapter one, verse twenty-six. You can flip there, or you can just uh, listen. But it says this: You see your calling, brethren, that not many wise according to the flesh. Is that you? Are you wise according? Some some people are, and God uses those as well. But not many. Not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen and the things which are not to bring to nothing the things that are that no flesh should glory in his presence. You know, God uses the David to kill the Goliath and he uses the little Gideon that's hiding in the threshing floor to conquer the whole army of the Midianites with an army of 300 people. And it's so that God will get the glory. Remember, Gideon was going to go with this vast army. He was convinced by the Lord to go. And the Lord said, hold on before you go, cut your army in half. You're too big and you'll take the glory for yourself. What, Lord, there's this, there's number of the sand of the seashore. Yeah. Cut. Yeah. Cut again. Cut again. Cut again. Down to 300 people. Now go. What are you talking about? Because <laughs> I'll get the glory. God uses the weak, the foolish. Man, it's talking about me right here to to put to shame the strong, you know, but there's no solution or excuse me. There's no substitution for spending time with Jesus. You spend time with Jesus, man, you're going to have power. You're going to have the ability to communicate. You'll be given boldness. Remember, it was their boldness that they saw that made them realize they'd been with Jesus. Verse 14, and seeing the man who'd been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves saying, what shall we do to these men? For indeed that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem. And we can't deny it. I mean, it's obvious that this guy has been healed. He was paralyzed his whole life. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man in this name. So, There's a board meeting in Jerusalem to stop the furtherance of the name of Jesus. And what is the board's idea? Let's threaten them. (laughs) Let's be a bunch of thugs. And hey, if I see you out there take it to your knees, man, you know, that's all they got. We're going to threaten you. We're going to, don't you? Oh, so help me. You know, you know what? There's a board meeting going on in hell. What are we going to do? I'm starting to see that lady or that guy in, in Prineville starting to get a little bit fired up for Jesus. What, what should we do? Hey, let's threaten them. Let's threaten them. That'll stop them. And, uh, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, it doesn't stop us. You know, when we walk in his power, we're not afraid of that. Verse 18, so they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. Too much power in that name. Stop that. You know hate that name, it sends shivers down my back. I remember when I was in high school, my youth pastor worked for um, this place in Corvallis called the children 's farm home and a lot of people in ministry worked there. It was a good side job to have, but it was ministering to kids from rough backgrounds, and there was so much spiritual darkness we 'd always hear stories of like spiritual Stuff going on there. And uh, one day my youth pastor said, uh, Today I was at work and this boy just started screaming. He's all over there by himself and he just started screaming and saying, Get it off of me! Get it off of me! It's on my back! It's got my throat! What are you talking about? Nobody's on you! No, just stop it! Well, no, ah, it's biting my throat! Ah! And finally my youth pastor realized that there was some spiritual warfare going on and my youth pastor said, Just say the name of Jesus! And so the kid, Jesus! And boom! That, that spiritual oppression was, was broken and stopped in that moment. The name of Jesus, the enemy trembles. There's power in that name and in the authority of that name. So don't teach it anymore. Don't talk about that name anymore. Have you ever noticed when you say the name of Jesus to friends that aren't Christians, a little defensive? I mean, you're getting a little defensive. Um, But Peter and John, and I love this because Peter gets most of the um, credit, but of course it was John too there. Peter and John answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. You know, well, you guys are religious men. So should we obey you or God? Well, I mean, I suppose you should obey God, but (laughs) okay. Well, we're going to obey God then. And in chapter five, we're going to see a similar situation like this, but you know, we are told in the scriptures, Romans chapter 13, and and I believe it's first Peter chapter two, we're told to obey the governing authorities, to submit to the governing authorities. And that's true. We're to pray for our president and submit to our government and obey the speed limits and obey the police officers and all of that we are. Until they ask us to do something that's disobeying the word of God, something that's sin. And then and only then can we say like these guys, should we obey God or should we obey, you know, the state trooper? Who should we obey? Should we obey, obey the president or should we obey God? Obviously God. But that applies to all of our relationship where there's some sort of order, whether it's in our marriage. Wives, the only time that you shouldn't submit to your husband is if he's asking you to sin in some way. Uh, and, and you know, cheat on your taxes or something like that. You know, man, you have to make a stand. Children with parents, you know, employees with employers. There's a line that's drawn when we're asked to go against what God is telling us to do. And so good, good uh, principle there. But I love verse 20. We can't but speak the things that we've seen or heard. We can't shut up. And I wonder if it was John that spoke right here. Because in John's gospel and in first John, John mentions this is whom he's talking about Jesus. This is whom I've seen with my own eyes. I've touched Jesus. I've seen Jesus alive. My hands have handled him. I have heard him speak. I'm an eyewitness and I can't but speak about the things which we've seen or heard. What have you seen? What have you heard? Can you shut your mouth about Jesus? Man, a lot of us know what we've been saved from rebel wickedness, just at war with God saved out of that to eternal life in paradise I can't help but talk about Jesus because he's taken me out of the miry pit and set my feet upon a rock and uh, can't help but speak about the things which I've seen and heard. Another gem there. Verse 21. So when they had further threatened them, well, you better not. They let them go, finding no way of punishing them because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. For the man was over 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. And man, maybe you're, you know, 40 years old or older and you think that, God just doesn't have any use for you. You've waited too long to surrender your life uh, to him. And I just say, you know what? Here's a 40 year old man that, you know, 5,000 people were saved that day because of uh, what happened in his life. And I bet for the rest of his life, he had an incredible testimony that led many to the Lord. We're just going to verse 31 today, but uh, verse 23 says, so being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord and said, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. And so, man, have you ever been in a, in a spot where um, some news came to you or someone came with good news or maybe bad news even, and it just caused everyone in the room to just re- either rejoice or or to, to pray in one accord. Maybe you can think of that time. I've been, you know, good times and bad times that you get the news and just everyone comes together and in one accord, they begin to either pray or worship. And as they do pray or worship, their prayer is filled with doctrine. Verse 24, they start out their prayer by saying, Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. And man, I love that. Whenever you start out your prayer, especially when you're going through a hard time in life, pray about how big and powerful and mighty God is because it really puts things in perspective. Went home from prayer on Thursday night. I was waiting for my mom to get here and uh, got on Hulu and there was a documentary on the first mission to the moon. And uh, it was all the old timers that went on the, maybe they're not that old, but you know, uh, all the young bucks that got on the space shuttle and they're going to the moon and you know, they're talking about it all. It's just incredible footage, all this stuff. And there was one point where they were about 150,000 miles from the earth and just the whole time they just can't stop looking at the earth looks like a giant blueberry you know Uh, and one of the astronauts says that as he's looking at the earth he just said man it sure makes all of my problems and all of the problems in the world you know seem so inadequate. It sure makes those problems seem so small when you see how small the world is and how great God's creation is. You know, we're so tiny. Our problems are so tiny, yet the creator of the universe knows you by name and even died for you. Sure makes your problems seem small, huh? Puts them in perspective when you realize how great and awesome and powerful your God is. So their prayer is filled with this doctrine, starts out big, and by the mouth of your servant, David said, why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. So more doctrine in verse 25, by the mouth of your servant, David, we see the inspiration of the scriptures here that God breathed out the word. He used David to get his words out there. Holy men of God were carried along by the Holy Spirit to write Psalm chapter two verses one and two, a prophecy about the Messiah having all the kings of the world come against him Uh, there in Psalm two, you can read about it later, but um, in verse 27, for truly against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. So Lord, this is all prophecy that you knew that you, you know, God's sovereignty here, you were in control and it all happened here in Jerusalem. You're a sovereign God, verse 28. That's all part of our prayers is understanding the sovereignty of God. Verse 29. Now look on their threats and grant to your servants that with all boldness we may speak the word of God. You know, notice that in their prayer they didn't ask for, uh, you know, and Lord, just let a big lightning bolt just kazam on the Sanhedrin, you know, or Lord, just take away all this suffering. We we don't want that. We don't need that. Come on, Lord. You know, no. They said, Lord, give us boldness that we could keep preach, uh, preaching in the midst of this suffering. And I love what Phillips Brooks said. You know, he said, don't pray for easy lives. You know, pray to be stronger men and women. Don't pray for tasks equal to your power, but Pray for powers equal to your tasks. And you know what? That power is available for us. We don't have it in ourselves, but he is strong. He is mighty. And so we see there verse 31. And when they prayed, or I'm sorry, verse 30, by stretching out your hand to heal that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. God's presence was there and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And so here we have continual filling. Peter already that day had been filled with the Holy Spirit. And here again, just constant overflowing of the Holy Spirit in a believer's life. And they spoke the word of God with boldness. We'll end on that word boldness and we'll have the uh, worship team come on up. You just put your stuff aside. And Lord, as we see the early church and as they walked in the power of the Holy Spirit to be witnesses and to testify of you, Lord, to be martyrs, even living martyrs, Lord, we Christians in this room, we just know we need that power, God. Lord, I pray that you give us the, the power to shake off the, the flesh, Lord, as I even was, I just didn't want to be inconvenienced at the gas station the other day. Lord, Just that's just so lame, God, I confess that. Lord, give us the power to move beyond our flesh and the, what we want. And Lord, that we would oh, so have a burden for souls. Lord, give us the power to, to respond to the open doors of the gospel. Give us vision to see the opportunities like Peter did. And Lord, I pray that whether people in this room consider the Holy Spirit, it's, it's an indwelling or it's, or it's more of a continual filling or it's a baptism of the Spirit or... Uh, Whatever, Lord, we just pray for torrents of living water. We pray for torrents of your spirit, God. I pray that if there's any Christian in this room that's just walking in a lack of power and a lack of boldness, just a lack of even uh, desire to live for you, Lord, Lord, that right now they'd even ask you to just pour out your spirit afresh on them. Lord, that you would just let the torrents, the rivers of living water flow. And Lord, I pray right now for non-Christians in this room. Maybe people that are religious, maybe people that uh, are nice people, but Lord, they're unsaved. Lord, they're people that have their confidence in their name or the name of some other God or you know the name of the club that they're a part of that's very humanitarian or whatever, Lord. But Lord, I pray right now that they'd realize those names are not gonna save them. They're perishing in their sins with those names. Only the name of Jesus has the power to save because it was Jesus that shed his perfect innocent blood so that he could attribute righteousness into our account. And Lord, I just pray right now for those people that they would respond to your Holy Spirit just as he tugs at their heart, Lord, that they would respond and that they would be saved today. And maybe right now, today, you walked in this room and you were a, not a Christian, you were not saved. A good person, sure. Nice, sure. Sure. You think you're a good person? Sure. Involved in serving the community? Sure. But Jesus Christ isn't your Lord and his blood hasn't covered your sins. And today you'd like to fall on the rock and be broken so that the rock won't fall on you and grind you to powder. And if that's you today, I just want to ask you just to respond to him. You know, Jesus says, I knock on the door of your heart. And if anyone hears my voice, let him come and open the door. And if he opens the door, I'll come into him and I'll dine with him and he with me. Today, Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart. Won't you open the door and let him in. And if that's you right now, I just encourage you to respond to the Lord and just maybe even right now where you're at, maybe just lift up your hand between you and the Lord and say, Lord, that's me. I want to be saved. I want to be converted. I want to be a Christian. I want to be saved from my sins. Just the minute your heart believes on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, Bible tells us that you're saved and he has such a plan for you and he wants to use you and he wants to become more than your best friend and he wants you to know all about him and he wants to spend eternity with you. If that's you today and you've responded to the Lord, just enjoy this moment, this new birth in your life. And if you've responded to the Lord today, I just encourage you before you leave to just let somebody know Come and let me know or let one of the elders know. Let the friend you came with know that today you chose Jesus because he first chose you. You've been listening to Pastor Rory Rogers, Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Prineville, Oregon. For more information about Calvary Chapel or to contribute to this ministry, you can go to our website, www.calvarycrookcounty.com, or you can write to us at pobox.com. 378 Prineville, Oregon 97754. Thanks again for listening and God bless.